0: So I saw this picture this week on the internet that I've been thinking about all week long. It was a picture of signs, signs that are on the side of the road, much like the signs that we're beginning to see pop up in our own community. These are election signs. Because after all, this is an election season. Now in the picture, there were maybe 10 or 15 of these signs in red, white, and blue, professionally printed for candidates that are running for office. There were maybe like 10 of them, but in the middle of all of those signs, there was one smaller one, one homemade one. It was just a plain white poster board with writing on it in black Sharpie. And it said the words, God loves you. God loves you in the middle of all of those election signs? What a statement, I thought. As I kept thinking about this picture, I can't help but think that that one little homemade sign in the midst of all of those big election signs, I can't help but think that that is the modern day persistent widow. In the story that we read today, Jesus tells his disciples a parable, and this isn't one of those parables that we're left scratching our heads trying to figure out what it means, right? That very first sentence tells us what it's about. It's about prayer, and it's about justice. So we have this judge. This judge who does not love God, and this judge that does not respect people or have any care in the world about what his community thinks about him, this judge is the exact opposite of what a judge is supposed to be. Much, much earlier in the Bible, the writers of Deuteronomy make a list of what a good judge is. A good judge must be impartial. If there's any hint of false testimony in a case, the judge must investigate. And if there is false testimony, the judge must punish the perjurer. But most importantly, above all else, a judge had to be careful and cautious to make sure that justice was given to the alien, to the orphan, and to the widow. So what we have in this story is a godless judge. We have a dangerous judge. And a widow approaches that judge. Now remember in biblical times, widows and orphans and children were vulnerable. Widows were particularly vulnerable because a woman's place in society, it was dependent upon a man. A woman's place went with her husband. So when her husband died, She was alone, and her community often disappeared. So we have this lone woman coming to a judge without a family or a community to support her. And she comes to him again and again, like she has before, begging and pleading for justice against her adversary. And the judge says again that he's not afraid of God, and he doesn't care what people in town think about him. But this woman keeps bothering me. She keeps pestering me. And surely, if I don't do what she's asking, she'll attack me. So fine, fine. I will give you justice so that you will leave me alone, he says. Friends, what kind of justice is that? That kind of justice, that's worldly justice. I bet you can think of someone in your own life or maybe a bigger someone that reminds you of that judge. Or maybe you've been like this judge, doing something for someone just so that they'll leave you alone. I've done that. It's that kind of justice that we see too often in our own worlds, where we make judgments based on what's good for us, what's good for me, not necessarily what's good for my neighbor. So then Jesus goes on to say that this kind of justice, this kind is not what God's justice looks like. He promises them that that God will listen to their prayers, that God will respond, and that God will respond fast. Jesus promises them that God is there, through talking with God, through prayer, and not through just praying once, but through a continuous prayer, a life devoted to prayer. You know, in our call to worship this morning, it was based on Psalm 121. Remember that I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? It comes from God. It's both a plea for justice and it's... It's a plea to God, and it's an assurance that God is always there. Then if you read further down in the psalm, the psalmist goes on to talk about fears. Fears of being struck down by the sun, slipping and falling, even a fear of evil befalling upon them in their travels. It reminds us that praying demands an openness of ourselves to name our fears. And an openness to God, to listen. You know, lots of times when we we think about prayer or praying, we think about asking God for something, right? We ask God to help us on a math test or to heal our friend's mom who has cancer. And oftentimes, our prayers don't get answered in the way that we think they should. We still don't do great on that math test, and our friend's mom is still sick with cancer. So we think that God didn't hear us. We grow weary, and then we stop talking to God. But friends, praying to God is more than just asking for things. Think back to a time when October meant something besides the arrival of a pumpkin spice latte. Do you remember back to when October meant the arrival of the Sears holiday catalog, that big, thick magazine with all of the holiday inventory that Sears offered? The toys were always in the back. Every year, my sister and I would flip through that catalog, circling all of the things that we wanted for Christmas. Maybe you remember doing the same as a child, or maybe you remember your kids doing that. Then on Christmas morning, Did you or your kids wake up to everything that you circled from that catalog? We definitely didn't. But you know, we woke up to the things that we needed the most. We woke up to what we needed. You know, when we pray, we certainly don't always get what's on our wish list. The early church that would have read Luke's gospel, that would have written Luke's gospel, They certainly didn't get what they asked for. They asked for things like protection from persecution. They asked for a sense of safety that they didn't get. But you know, they got what they most needed. And I think that's reflected throughout that whole gospel. They got a sense of God's love. And they got God's presence with them when they worshipped. God doesn't give us what we want. God gives us what we need. God isn't a Sears catalog. God grants us the things in life that we need most. Presence. Comfort. God gives us hope for a world that is filled with love instead of hatred. For a world that is filled with tables instead of walls. Bridges instead of fences. God gives us what we need. God gives us open hearts. You know, a life of faith isn't just about giving God your wish list, but it's about this constantly lifting up of every joy and every concern, every doubt and every fear, every lament and every plea to the one who hears, the one who answers. Our prayers, their, our participation, our in God's coming reign here on earth. And when we do pray to God with these open hearts, our truest and most authentic prayers, we live into this assurance, assurance that God has not abandoned this world. Because when we pray, we live in hope that one day, that long list of injustices we see, that one day, that will be no more. If you all tuned into that special anniversary Sunday school class a couple of weeks ago, you'll remember that Brian Blunt challenged us to think about the Beatitudes in the imperative rather than the indicative. Now, For those of you who forgot what these grammar terms meant as soon as you were tested on them, like me, the imperative means a command. It means to add an exclamation point after the command. So when it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, if we think about that in the imperative, it would read, hunger and thirst for justice, exclamation point, or become hungry and thirsty for justice. The widow in this story, she is one that is hungry and thirsty for justice deep in her bones, And because of the way that she kept going back to that unjust judge, I can't help but see a picture of faithfulness. Jesus tells the disciples that unlike that unjust judge, God doesn't need to be badgered to give justice to God's people. That God is more like that widow. God is committed to justice, to grace, and to peace. And I wonder if that kind of persistent faithfulness is what Jesus is talking about, how she kept going back and back. I wonder if that is the faithfulness that Jesus is asking about, if that's what he'll find when he returns again. So for us today, what does it look like to become hungry and thirsty for justice? This week in one of the the commentaries that I read, one author pointed out that the poor, the orphans and the widows and the aliens, if they are ever going to get justice, it will be by God acting through us. Justice will come by God acting through us? When I read that, I got a little uneasy in my seat. Through us? Through me? Through you? What what can we do? And then we read this story. I think that answer is pretty simple. It's to be like that widow. She is faithful. She is persistent. She is active. Now, again, when we think about prayer, we think of that as... A passive thing sometimes as a small thing that we can do for someone that doesn't necessarily require a lot of energy and in theory we should already have the tools for do it to do it so it's a small easy thing but friends prayer is not passive prayer is active when we pray to God openly and authentically we seek God We are pursuing God's will for our lives here on earth. Jesus tells this parable so that his disciples will know, that they will know to pray continuously, that they will know that God will respond to their prayers, and that God, God will bring justice into this world again, because blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. Friends, become hungry, become thirsty for justice as we work alongside God to bring about this kingdom of love and of grace here on earth. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.